0: Chapter 6.
1: Kids, how would
0: you like to be a legal pirate? Sir Francis Drake was one of many Englishmen who became famous during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, Queen Bess. He sailed around the world, he crossed the Atlantic many times, he was involved in numerous sea battles in various parts of the world. Two times he was a member of English Parliament, and perhaps most famously, if you studied your history books, he defeated the Spanish Armada in 1588, which basically preserved Protestantism in, in England. There are many well-known stories about him, but uh, one of his... Um, uh, uh, premier uh, and, and most well known titles was as a privateer. A privateer was basically somebody co- commissioned by their government to uh, attack uh, ships that were enemies of that, that nation's government. And so he became, he was virtually a legal pirate. Uh, And there's stories about him uh, and his bravery. He he insisted on finishing bowling games on his ship, uh, even though the Spanish Armada was in sight. He wanted to finish his game. Uh, He spread his his coat over a muddy puddle so the queen could walk over it without getting her feet wet. One time he tried to claim California as a British possession. Um, But not so well known, but uh, perhaps uh, significant in understanding what a... um, interesting character this guy was, to say the least, was a prayer that he wrote, which in Anglican churches in England is still used in their churches today, and it sums up really um, the theme of what we're going to talk about today. Here's a prayer that he wrote. O Lord God, when Thou givest to Thy servants to endeavor any great matter, grant us also to know that it is not the beginning but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished, which yieldeth the true glory through him who for the finishing of thy work lay down his life for us, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what Drake was saying there, as one of his many talents, writing prayers, I guess, was that um, there there were great works which had to be attempted. And perhaps as he was writing that, maybe he was thinking of another dangerous sea voyage that he would have to take, or uh, um, uh, uh, another task that the, that the queen gave him. We don't know. But his point was, what matters is not so much the beginning. Important as that obviously is, we all need to start, don't we? Sometimes getting started is the hard part. But what is really important is continuing and carrying on until the thing is thoroughly finished. Most of us recognize this picture, and, and, and we're challenged by that. Uh, we start a you, you might start a puzzle and peter out after a little bit and say, all right, that's, I'm, I'm tired of that. How many of you ever tried to learn a new language? Uh, uh, and uh, it's hard to stick to it. Or trying to lose weight. Or painting a picture. Or a yard project, or reading a long book that, you know, this is a classic book that everybody says I need to read this, so I'm going to read it and get through the first couple chapters, and like that's it, right?
1: Or starting a business, or opening a shop, or building a house.
0: Um, and, uh, and, and we have that initial burst of enthusiasm and excitement of something new. And as we continue in it, that energy kind of seeps out of the. Our souls, doesn't it? Because you reach hard grinds of carrying on, and and days, and and weeks, and years, and and pretty soon, that's just nothing but a memory of something you you tried to do. But that cannot be true with the Christian life. You cannot have that same kind of attitude of the Christian life, and that's what the point of our passage this morning is all about in Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six. And uh, last week we looked at. Uh, the idea of not staying in the nursery, the spiritual nursery, not staying on as a baby, but, but persevering and, and continuing and, and growing to the point where we're able to share Christ with others and help them grow as well. And the writer in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 11, he has to kind of bend down and say, OK, guys, you're not where you need to be. There's there is there is a problem here. There's a pothole that you are stuck in that you need to get out of so you continue on your path of Christian discipleship and Jesus Christ. And he says that pothole is how you respond to the Word of God. You're getting a little testy to the Word of God. You're becoming resistant to the Word of God. He says, I have things I want to teach you about Christ priesthood. But... It's like I got to teach you the ABCs again. You're not there yet. You're not ready yet. And it's not because I haven't taught you the ABCs. I've taught you. I laid the foundation. You should be ready, but you're not. And verse twelve, he says, "From the time you ought to be teachers, you have the, that one teach you again, which be the first principles, the elements, the basics, the A to Zs, uh, the ABCs of the oracles of God. You need milk and not of strong meat." You're grown up. You need to eat meat and stop drinking out of bottles, is what he saying. Get out of the spiritual nursery. So he says, watch your resistance to the Word of God, because it indicates a problem. But then he tells us that the point of discipleship is, is to see uh, what you understand and what you grow in passed on and shared with others. He says, the time has come when you ought to be teachers. You ought to be duplicators. You ought to be multiplying. You ought to be spiritually reproducing. And you're not. And you're not. So he tells us that the the point of discipleship is not just to store more and more information. Your head is so big, you're looking like the Kool-Aid man walking through the doors. The point is so that you are disseminating, you are sharing, you are nurturing uh, others in Christ as well. And then finally, we saw that... He gives us the, uh, the key to how to get out of the nursery. And it's in verse 13 and 14. For everyone that useth milk, the, the, the very basics uh, of the Word of God, is unskillful in the Word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full, ma- full age. So, so maturity sinks its teeth into the strong meat. And who are those who are mature? Even those who by reason of use, continued use, practice, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They are growing in the Word of God and they are teaching it. And that doesn't mean teaching like Sunday school class, so it could, it could be that as well, but it's the idea of, of informally uh, discipleship, nurturing, sharing the things that you have grown in with others so they grow as well. And... I shared with you uh, two men that had an impact on me. uh, Harold Nichols there on the left, and uh, you can excuse the Buffalo Bills shirt. He was a big Buffalo Bills fan. That's where he grew up in New York. And uh, and Randall uh, there, Hensel on the right. Both men who left well-paying jobs to go minister in Jamaica and were brutally murdered in the past couple weeks um, here. Um, And the motives are still just puzzling. Nobody knows why. But people who I feel the Lord said as they entered into His glory, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And people to me who are illustrations of what this passage is talking about. But now I want to get into Hebrews chapter 6. And talk about drinking in the rain. Drinking in the rain of God's grace. What are you going to do with it? What are you doing with it? God didn't save us to sit still. Our work isn't done. In fact, if you read Ephesians 2, 1-10, he tells us where he came from. Pretty, we got a pretty bad history. But he tells us what Christ did to bring us into relationship with him. And then he tells us that we are to be working at our salvation, that we are God's handiwork. He is working in us to do both the will to do his good pleasure. So God doesn't save us to sit still. I'd like you to look in Hebrews chapter 6. Look at that very first verse. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. He's not saying, okay, I want you to leave everything you learned about Christ. and Forget it. Throw it out the window. He's saying, building up from there. Moving on from the foundation. Whenever you lay a foundation, and this, this is something we saw in Jamaica Everywhere we we went, there were foundations laid and there were partial structures built on it. And we asked Harold, uh, what what, what, what happened here? They ran out of money. Everywhere. So you'd see a slab there and nothing built on it. Or you'd see a slab and maybe a couple walls built up. Um, But the job wasn't finished. But the whole point of a foundation is to build a structure, isn't it? On top of it. If we tore down this building and we laid a whole new foundation, and and that's it. And we just had our services on the foundation. We'd be silly. We'd be foolish. But when God works in you and he's laid the foundation of who Christ is, he desires something to be built up from that. And so here was the problem. They were not building up from the ABCs they had learned. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, he says, let us go on unto perfection, unto completion. Let's go on. Let's move. Let's build up from there. Let's push up from there. And the first point is growing disciples are moving disciples. You can't sit still as a Christian. There's no such thing as sitting still. In fact, you're sliding backwards. Uh, you're either moving forward or you are sliding backwards. There's no on offense in Christianity. There's no neutral in Christ. You are either pushing forward in obedience to Christ or you are sliding backwards to the old life. So build up from the ABCs. He says, let us go on and on completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, what is he saying? <clears throat> I think he's listing here some of the basic principles, the first principles that he refers to in 5, verse 12. Uh, And the first is uh, the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. I think the idea here he's talking about is repentance from dead works being the things that were the works of the flesh in the past. Things that Galatians 5.19 talks about, the works of the flesh in contrast with the fruit of the Spirit. Alright? It's stuff that, like, uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 24, where he says, Put off the old man, uh, renew your mind in Christ, and, and put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's a basic, that's a fundamental of faith. Uh, the basics of discipleship repenting from dead works and, and, and putting on the new man. Faith toward God, repentance from dead works. The second thing is of the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. So understanding the difference. Uh, I believe in that period of, of of John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, and Christ's baptism. In fact, if you go with me to Acts chapter nineteen, perhaps you'll see maybe a little window into perhaps what the writer is talking about in my uh, in my interpretation here. Acts nineteen. And verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost? And she believed. And they said unto them, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And, he, and they said, Unto John's baptism. By the way, anybody who says that uh, Baptist started with John there, you've got to point this passage out here because this is not New Testament baptism here. Um, then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptisms of repentance, saying unto the people that should believe on him, which should come after that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit, right? baptizing in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. I think he's talking about instruction about what it means to be baptized as a believer and what that symbol is in Christ and the laying on of hands that he says in the next verse in Hebrews chapter 6, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands is is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And he says... And of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. The truth that every person who has ever lived will live eternally in one place or the other. There is a resurrection. The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. The resurrection of those who are in Christ. And the resurrection of those who are under condemnation. All of us have souls and spirits that live eternally. Don't we? The question is, where are we going to live? And so that's the next part. He says and of eternal judgment. We will all stand before God and give an account of our lives before God. What are you going to do about that? These are the basics of the faith and how Jesus Christ is the answer to, to each of these things. He said, we're not going to lay again this foundation and he'll list this. But we're going to move on. And verse 3 says, and this we will do if God allows. And God does allow because in chapter 7 he lays it on. The, the priesthood of Christ. So the first point is growing disciples are moving disciples. We, we have a foundation, don't we? Sometimes I hear people say um, um, that uh, I, I just can, can we just can we just keep it simple? And, and in the part, I understand if, if if people want to say, can we keep the truth of God simple because they want to under, be able to understand and grow further in that. But if you want to just keep it simple in the aspect that you don't want to press your thinking, then I don't think that's a good place to be. Um, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying there or not, but sometimes we can use that, that to say, well, I don't have much education. Can, can, can we just keep it to the basics as an excuse for not wanting to press into what the Word of God really says? And don't 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 be like that. Press into it. Stretch your mind. Doesn't mean everybody needs to have a PhD or a master's. But think. Let's let's think about the Word of God. He's given us passages here, so for our good. So growing disciples are moving disciples. Um, but secondly, growing disciples are listening disciples, are listening disciples, because now he's going to give us a warning. And this is the this is a debated passage in, in, in the scriptures here. This is this is very difficult for some people to understand and swallow. And I have to be honest with you, I've had um, different positions on this passage, and I think I changed it again this week. Um, you know, if, if you always have the same positions about everything in Scripture that you've always had, I don't think you're growing. Um, I understand there can you can be stubborn about certain things um, and, and not want to change, but honestly, none of us have arrived at a perfect understanding of the Scriptures, have we? And there are things that I believed before that I think, hmm, but this verse says that. <laughs> Um, and I, uh, this is a passage that um, sometimes people who are um, Armenians uh, take to say that you can lose your salvation. If you don't know what that term Arminians is, you're, you're probably better off. All right, it's not. We don't need to go into that. Um, uh, there are, then there are people who say, well, this this is this is a picture of people. Um, who who were never really truly believers, and so when the testing came, proved they were not really genuine believers. There is another group of people who say this passage here, and you're saying, "Well, what? What are you talking about?" Well, the verses I'm going to read here in a minute. So hang on. Uh, is a passage talking about people Christians who can lose their rewards, who can lose their rewards, and I think I, I think that's 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 the worst interpretation of this. That's the most. Um, This—it it's just really doesn't wrestle with the text. Um, this is talking about salvation. Um, look, in, look in verse and um, verse nine. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. So this is talking about salvation. There is another group that says this is a hypothetical situation. Then that's me too, unfortunately. I was in the group that said these were people who are, um, well, I'm kind of a hybrid here. It doesn't matter what I think. Let's see what the Word of God says here. All right? Growing disciples are listening disciples. And what I mean by that is that when the warnings of God come, they are listening to them. Jesus says many times in Scriptures take heed, take warning. Pay close attention. He's already said that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He's given them a warning in chapter 3. He's given them uh, some admonitions to to fear in chapter 4, verse 1. And now in chapter 6, he's telling them to listen, take heed, take warning, and listen to what he says. Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, for... And have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh in the cursing whose end is to be burned. He says it's impossible. There's something here that is absolutely impossible and it's impossible to turn away from Christ utterly and to come back. Look what he says here, and he describes those who were, first of all, once enlightened. Once enlightened. Chapter 10, verse 32. Same word. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions you know that when you come to christ he opens your eyes he opens your heart to the gospel these are people who had their eyes open to the gospel i believe with that cross reference of 1032 and he says and have tasted the heavenly gift and some will say that word taste means just a taste, but you're not really eating, you know? Like, uh, like, like you're having a cheese tasting or, or something like that, you know? You're just tasting different things, but, you know. Well, the problem, though, with that is that that word tasted is used of Christ in chapter 2, verse 9, who tasted death. Now, did Jesus Christ just taste death in the sense that um, it was just a partial experience? Jesus really died, didn't he? He went through the full experience of death. And so we tasted the heavenly gift, I believe, uh, is referring to the gift of salvation, Christ, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, righteousness. Um, This is the idea of, of, of of a full meal, not just like wetting your tongue with something here. And then he says, and we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's a word that means shared in the Holy Spirit. And it's the word that's used in chapter 3, verse 1, where he talks about them as believers, and he says, partakers of the heavenly calling. No doubt these people were saved. And then he says uh, in chapter 3, verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast in the end. In other words, a true believer perseveres to the end it is eternal security because God completes the work that He's begun till the day of Jesus Christ. He will continue in the faith uh, fully and finally till the end. Doesn't mean there's not going to be ups and downs in the path. So the fact that he says in chapter six he shared in the Holy Spirit, he's talking about indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Then he says, uh, he tasted, and by the way, you're allowed to disagree. It's okay. Uh, um, as long as you can prove it from Scripture. <laughs> um, then it says, he tasted good, the goodness of the Word of God. I'd like you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. Tasted of the goodness of the Word of God. It's the same word used there about tasting the heavenly gift. Um, but he's not talking about... Like uh, like my two year old daughter does when she's testing out her food, she licks it, you know, decides if she wants it or not. I'm not talking about that kind of tasting. First Peter one verse twenty five. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He quotes from Psalms there. This is talking about filling your mouth. And a meal on the goodness of God in Christ. Tasting the goodness of the word of God. And then he says, um, And the powers of the world to come. The powers of the coming age. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Perhaps that's referring to some of the, the sign gifts. That refers to in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, where, um, where he says, how are we going to neglect so great salvation, which was confirmed to us? Verse 4, chapter 2, God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. In other words, they had seen, uh, the, they had seen God's Spirit work in some miraculous ways here. The powers of the coming age. And I say all that to say, I, I think the situation he's speaking of is somebody who knows Christ, who really does know Christ. But look at the warning here. This is where the difficulty is. Verse 6. If if they should fall away to renew them again unto repentance, they, 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 have, they have embraced all this, and if they fall away from that, to renew again into repentance it is impossible seeing they crucified in themselves the son of god afresh, and put them to an open shame and all those of us who believe in eternal security that no one is taken out of the father's hand would say absolutely right to that what do you mean well to turn to to, to not have christ mean does not guarantee any security here uh, here's what he's saying here this, this word that he's uh, used to, to fall away is a word where we get the word, idea of apostasy it's a Greek word apostasy It means to turn away from the way of Christ. Go with me to chapter ten of hebrews verse twenty six look into this same concept this is kind of, chapter ten is kind of a, a parallel passage here, this little chunk in six and they help explain each other. So chapter ten verse twenty six and twenty seven says for if, again, there's kind of the, the uh, if, again. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And he says, uh, even under Moses' day, they took that seriously. How much more serious? Under Christ who shed his blood. Um, and, and look what he says in verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence with hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God you might receive the promise. For yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Fix your eyes in the hope of Christ's coming. He's going to come soon. Continue on. Persevere. Verse 8. Now the just... Now he's going to quote from the book of Habakkuk. Now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back... My soul shall have no pleasure in him. But Here's what he says. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. A believer can't lose their salvation. A believer cannot come into, into being free from condemnation and coming into the light and acceptance with God through the work of Jesus Christ and then come back into damnation. A new heart is a new heart. A new heart doesn't change to an old heart and God keeps having to do surgery to keep switching them out. That's not how it works. Being born again into eternal life is not, is not, is not uh, switching out on the table. Eternal life, not eternal life. Eternal life, not eternal life. Uh, 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 depending on us. But this is talking uh, about how, how if you come to Christ and there is a situation in, our, in your imagination where you turned your back on the Christ, you could not come to back to Christ again is what he's saying. So God will, will not cast His pearls to be trampled by swine. Uh, to, 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 to go back to a life that is satisfied in sin is, the writer says in Hebrews 6, is re Jesus. Leaving the faith. He's not talking about lapsing in the sin upon which they repent, but walking away from what they know and saying, that's it. And he's saying, this is more shameful than if they had never believed. You see, there is nothing more that God has to offer to us than Christ and His work. And His way of of discipleship. Rejecting God's way of life in Him, there's no other other way. Imagine that that, uh, you found out that you had cancer. And you were told that by an expert doctor who had uh, worked years and decades in cancer. And he told you that the only way you're going to be free from that cancer is by following this treatment for it. And you walk away from there and you say, but I was on the internet and I looked and someone tried this and it seems to be working. But this guy was the absolute authority in cancer. He knew all there was to know about cancer and he knew that this this was the only treatment. Now for me to think... That this guy said something that uh, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to try this, is to reject him, isn't it? It's to reject it. And to go my own way would be such a foolish thing to do. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying his point is, folks, look to Christ. There is no other way. Walk in Him. Continue in Him. If it were possible for you to walk away from Him, there would be no other hope. He is the only hope and he is he's saying you reject God's way of life in him uh, would be such a foolish thing and he is warning those who may be tempted to go back to Moses law and Judaism to what Jesus Christ already fulfilled and said is finished would be a frightening end and he is telling them that to turn away from everything they found in Jesus would be to turn away from their only hope and so his point is if this were possible for you to turn away from Christ and I don't think you are those who would draw back. He's saying, "You are those who continue to the end." But if it were possible to turn away from Christ, there is no coming back. There is no coming back to so turn away from what you knew. And that's why I think it's a hypothetical situation. But with a little hybrid here, all right, a little, little disclaimer. He's saying, "So walk in Christ." and the New Covenant, walk in holiness, walk in Christ, obeying what He's commanded. There are only two ways to live. Christ is all. No other masters. If you walked away, you may prove, however, that you weren't real disciples. Now perhaps there are people there that uh, might be thinking through some of the things he listed. Okay. Um, tasted the he- once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And they were only interpreting that by their experience. Like a man named Simon. Go with me. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Because this is kind of where I also lean into there's a possibility that in that audience maybe there were people who were going along and had, by being connected with the congregation, had heard some of these things, had observed some of the things, but it wasn't real in their life. But they were deceived in thinking it was. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. There's a certain man called Simon, which before time in that same city, used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. To whom they all gave heed from the least of the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. I Remember that phrase. This guy, before um, 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 Peter comes into town, lives for people saying, You have the power of God. You're a great magician. And to them they had regard, because that of long time he bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed... Uh, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, and they come down, and, and uh, they laid hands on the people who received the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. And verse 18 says, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, what did he live his life before doing? Hearing people say, This man is the great power of God. And now he's saying, Give me this power, so I can lay hands on, so people can receive the Holy Ghost. Look what Peter says. Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, thy wickedness, and pray, God, perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Bondage. Simon says, Pray for me, that none of this which he says happens to me. Um, church history traces back this man Simon to being a founder of a sect called the Gnostics, um, which is heretical, heretical um, views about Christ, saying he didn't have a physical body, he was just the appearance of God, etc. Um, <clears throat> I, I can't put my finger and say that. Um, I know absolutely certain that, that, um, that Simon was an unbeliever, but I'll tell you what, if church history is correct, um, this man had tasted, he, 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 there were some things that he grabbed the scent to, but it didn't seem like he received a new heart. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. And I bring that up to tell you that people can be attached to the community of Christ, And they can also attach themselves to the things that other people are growing and knowing in, but not have it real and personal in their lives. The old preacher at First Baptist in Dallas, Walter Criswell, um, said that he thought 90% of people in the pew were not truly born again believers. I don't know how you would say a statistic like that. But I do think there is a greater point that there are probably people in the pews who do not know Christ, who have been coming to church their whole lives even. This is a warning to us. Look what Hebrews 12, verse 25 says, See then that refuse not him that speaketh Jesus, who speaketh better things in the new covenant. For if they escape not... Who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? You know, the illustration of this is in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, where Jesus has a great multitude of disciples following him, a large, large crowd in verse 24. And Jesus goes in a boat and goes to the other side of the lake. And people, the crowds are looking for him. And John 6.25 says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said And a Rabbi, how did you get here? When came and saw hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He seeked me, not because you saw the loaves, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He says, You're here because you want to be fed again. And then he kind of gives them a, a, a side warning here. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. But for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And he begins a discussion with them. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And they kind of scratched their heads. And verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. He said, wait, we know who this Jesus is. He grew up in Nazareth. And Jesus I am the bread of life. Verse 48. And Jesus then says something very hard in verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's talking about this body being broken at the cross. And they're like, how are we going to eat this man's flesh? This is strange. And Jesus doesn't back up and say, okay, that was too strong. Look what he says in verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Truly, truly, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. He's talking about receiving what Christ will do. His work. Embracing all of Christ. And verse 66 says, Oh, excuse me, verse 60 says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This isn't hard saying. Who can hear it? And Jesus, verse 61, knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. He said to them, Does this offend you? And verse 64 says, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray them. They all said they were disciples of Christ, but Jesus said, there's some of you that don't believe. You don't believe. Verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, are you going to go away also? And God works through Peter and Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? See his response to the Word of God? And Jesus, verse 70, answers them and says, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he spake of who? Judas Iscariot, who's going to betray him. Judas walked among them, didn't he? For years. he Even on the basis of Luke 10, committed some miracles. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. And so, folks, this is this is a warning that a growing disciple listens to and says, "I'm going to, by God's grace, continue, persevering in the faith." Why? Look in verse, um, verse, verse seven and eight. The illustration here is a farmer's field. Rain falls in it frequently, and it produces a harvest that every farmer expects to happen. And a field is blessed by the continual care of the farmer. Then imagine another field right alongside of it. Same rain falls upon that field. And that field grows grows thorns and thistles. And that farmer curses and burns that field. I think this point really ties up the point of that passage in Hebrews six. God's word can fall. Is your heart good ground? Is your heart good, crowned? There is no other hope but Christ and the way of Christ. Are you following? Are you pers- per- per- persevering? And I want to tell you now, finally, in closing growing disciples are rewarded disciples. Verses 9 through 12. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And things that accompany salvation through though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. He, God, notices which you have showed toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Growing disciples. Our rewarded disciples. He wants to make sure that they are going to continue in Christ. In verse 9, we're persuaded better things of you. He's telling them, there is no other hope than Christ. Continue, walk in his ways. If you walked away from him, and you couldn't if you were in Christ, you couldn't walk all the way away from him. But if you did, you would, you would fall away to where you could never return again. There is no other hope. Press on. He encourages them. He says, beloved, I'm confident there's better things about you. He says, your fruit is blossoming and God sees it and is pleased. And verse 10 says, "Um, God is not unrighteous to forget the, the work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name. Now, how did they show toward his name? Well, they did it for other people. But you know what? When we do things for other people in the name of Christ, we do it for him. So he says, don't stop. Continue bearing fruit. Don't get lazy. Continue to the very end. Correct your course. And continue growing to your last breath. The song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Believers, Christ will hold you fast. But perhaps there's folks in here who are playing a game. You are attached to the body of believers in a certain sense, but your heart has never been regenerated. You have the same old path. You're just like a Swine who's taken a bath. But Jesus says in this passage to us there is no other hope than Christ alone. The cursing, the burning in the field, how fire is real. How foolish it would be to go to church for decade after decade after decade hearing the Word of God, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and go to eternal end. How sad and how foolish that would be. How joyful, how wonderful it would be for you, who the Holy Spirit is prompting, to come to Jesus today and say, Enough of this game. I can't do this anymore. And to come to Christ today. Every head bowed, every eye closed.